Welcome to this podcast about Hilton Head Island and the Low Country. I am Jay, your host, and today we are joined by author Anel St. Charles. We will talk about her Georgia Airs novel series, why she chose Hilton Head as the background for two of the novels, and what she loves about the island as we travel down 278 to Lighthouse Road. Anel St. Charles is a native of Nashville, Tennessee. She earned a doctorate in nutritional science from the University of Tennessee and also earned a degree for digital photography. Anel has published several photo books and authored a four-part novel series, which is partially centered around Hilton Head Island. Anel, welcome to the show. Well, thanks you, Jay. I appreciate you inviting me to be on the recording with you. Share a little bit with our listeners about your background, uh, what you've done over the course of your career. I have a doctorate in nutrition science with a minor in exercise physiology. So I spent a lot of my professional life working in health promotion and wellness and worked at Vanderbilt in their health promotion department for several years. And let's see, had a private practice and I gave seminars around the United States for at least a dozen or more years to health professionals where I was educating them on every imaginable topic, not just nutrition and exercise related, but everything related to the particular topic. And I retired from all that back in 2015 and made a complete switch to what I was spending my time doing. And I don't know how this happened, but suddenly I just started spitting out novels and books of poetry and books of photography. And uh, I've got a four novel series that starts in Nashville, Tennessee, which is where I was born and live most of my time. And it started in uh, Nashville in the mid to late 70s. And then those characters came to Hilton Head. And that's what starts my third novel, when they make the Hilton Head visit for the first time. And then the fourth novel, which was just released this past year, I have them full time at Hilton Head. We'll get into the novel series here in a few minutes. How did you first get introduced to Hilton Head? How did you discover the island? I was driving from Knoxville, Tennessee, back to Nashville, and I stopped at a rest stop and they had a flyer for um, a timeshare visit on Hilton Head. You know, you go there and you listen to a timeshare spiel and they give you two nights, three days on the island. And so I said, yeah, let's do that. So I went there. It's like 1986, I believe, and just fell in love with the island. It was much quieter. Wasn't a lot to do at that time, but it was just a beautiful place. So my husband and I started going regularly beginning in 1988 and eventually bought a condominium there, which we've had now since about 97, I believe. Spend as much time as possible. What is your favorite part about the island? What do you love to do when you go down there? Places to eat, things to do? I spend a lot of time walking, like walking the beaches, walking the nature preserves and the parks, and also riding my bike all over the island. I love to take photographs. And so I've usually got my camera in my bike bag or slung over my shoulder when I'm walking. So that's how I spend my time. We do like to go out, not recently, but we do like to go out to restaurants. But I just love the nature part of Hilton Head. Along with the novels, which once again, we're going to get to that in a second. You have a couple of photo books, uh, one that's called Sunrise on Hilton Head Island, and the other one's called Island Life. And that's got photos of Hilton Head Island and some other places. Tell us about those photo books. How did those come to be? I've been interested in photography for a very long time and actually have a diploma from the Shaw Institute, which is in Scotland. I did that online. And so, 
I've trying, trying, been trying to improve my photography skills over the years. As I said, when I'm a Hilton head, I'm walking the beach a lot of the time and I'm I'm an early bird, so I'm up at sunrise, so I've got tons of sunrise photos. And during the times of the year when the sun sets early enough for me, <laughs> I'm out there taking shots of that too. So I realized I had a lot of great photos, not just of sunrise and or sunset, but of nature and the beauty of the island. So I decided to put them into a book. And then the other one had shots from, I think, five other islands around the world that my husband and I had spent time in that I also wanted to feature the beauty of those locations. So let's talk a little bit about the Georgia Air series. The first two novels are The Things Left Unsaid and The Choices We Make. Where were those set? In Nashville, Tennessee, in the early to mid-70s. Can you tell us a little bit about them and what they're, without giving away the ending of the books, tell us a little bit about the books. Well, Georgia Ayers is the main character. And I tell it in first person from her voice. So she's in the first novel, just graduating high school and launching her career. And she becomes involved in a a scandal that revolves around the two newspapers that actually did exist in Nashville at that time. It's fictitious what I create in the story about one of those newspapers, but it has to do with the political underpinnings in Nashville and how they were trying to do one thing with the paper, and Georgia and her friends ended up causing it to have another outcome. So that's the gist of it. But a lot of the story has to do with friendships and a friendship she makes with an elderly woman and her love interest and her best friend from high school. That's just the first novel, but the characters continue through all four novels. Yeah. T- tell us about the the choices we make as uh, the characters continue their journey. Okay. And that one, I'll let it be Julie's story. Julie's her best friend. So it tells the story of Julie's childhood, her family, her significant relationships, her work in the banking industry in Nashville. And again, there's a scandal and she and her friends get involved in it. And it's based on some facts, but it's primarily fiction. And let's see, that continues the story in Nashville. And Georgia is a main character in there. But as I said, it's from Julie's voice. How difficult is it to develop characters? Where do you get the idea for who they are and what they're like? And where where do the ideas from the plot lines come from? I was thinking about this yesterday. And I think there's an expression that was created by someone at some point that says uh, life imitates art. I was thinking it in the reverse, art imitates life. So some of the characters in my novels are based upon people I really knew in my own life. But then I take liberties with developing the characters to kind of fit the storyline that I want to create. And it's an interesting thing in writing these novels Sometimes as I'm writing, I'm laughing at what the characters are saying because it's it's as if they come alive on the computer. It's not like I think, okay, what do I want this person to say? It's just they start speaking. And so I just write down what they're saying. That probably sounds quite odd, but it's true. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. It's, you know, you read everything that's going on in the world these days and you're like, you just can't make this stuff up. There's some things that are just so, so crazy. So you made a turn in the series with the third book and the characters end up traveling to Hilton Head. Why did you make that transition and tell us about the chances we take, which is based on Hilton Head Island? Again, I think that's uh, art imitating life. 
you know, I was so intrigued with Hilton Head myself. I wanted the characters to go and explore it and, and visit there. So Julie and her husband invited Georgia and her boyfriend to go with them on a post-wedding trip. And when they arrived at Hilton Head, Georgia just became enraptured with it. You know, it was not like she had ever been there before, or even knew anything about it. But when she landed on the island, she felt like she had come home. And so I tell the story of how she explores the island, explores the history meets this couple who are Gullah descendants, becomes friends with them, meets an interesting Gullah character in a cemetery. And it's actually a Gullah descendant cemetery that exists just uh, around the harbor from Harbor Town. So she has some encounters that lead her to some very interesting discoveries of, about herself, as well as the, the culture that's on Hilton Head that many people don't even know about. What period of time did you set for them to be on the island, and why did you choose that time period? Because I started the series of novels in the early 70s. You know, I tried to keep the time frame true to what would be possible for them. So the first time they go to Hilton Head, I think that would end up being in the mid-70s. And then in the fourth novel, it's late 70s. So it was a different island then, as we have talked about, or as, as you quite well know. So I have them visiting places that actually were on the island at that time. But I also discuss things that are happening that weren't happening then. Like when I talk about the Gullah community and the efforts at changing the the names of the gated communities away from plantations into just communities. That's what's happening right now on Hilton Head. It has been happening for the last couple of years. I write it as if it was happening back then. And I do that because I think it should have been <laughs> in one part. It should have been happening back then. But I also just want to introduce that idea to the reader. Because as I said, I think many people definitely then and still now come to Hilton Head, have a nice vacation, maybe see a little kind of rundown shack along a side road or a trailer sitting on a piece of land and they're like scoffing at that. They don't understand. This is part of the original Gullah Geechee community of descendants who have been on our island for a very long time. Tell us about the research that you had to do to actually make the setting correct for that time period. Because when you write a novel like that, you need to go back and kind of research what was there and what wasn't. What did you, how did you do your research into what the island was like and what was actually there in the late 1970s? Well, thank goodness for the internet, because it gave me an opportunity to find out a lot of those facts. You know, I could do a search, you know, what, what was on Hilton Head, which restaurants were there, what did things look like. Also found several books that describe the history of the island in different time periods. I took some Agullah tour that was run by Urban Campbell. And, you know, he talked a lot about the island and told stories of how things had changed and the way things used to be. I attended different celebrations of the Gullah community and heard stories set in different time periods. I talked to folks who had lived on the island since the 70s, you know, to make sure my facts were straight and correct. So I did a lot of uh, investigating and hopefully got it all right. Were there any things that you discovered along the way that really kind of set you back, made you go, wow, I had no idea the history behind what happened on Hilton Head Island, because uh, I do a continuing series with Rich Thomas, who's pretty much the local historian for the island. He knows a lot about how things happen, a lot of the history, uh, all the way back through kind of the beginning time period. We've done pirates and pre-Civil War and post-Civil War, and it's amazing the amount of history that's on the island. Was there anything that really struck you in your research of 
the history of Hilton Head and the area? Absolutely. I mean, I had no clue that Hilton Head housed the first Freedmen's community. You know, at the area that's called Mitchellville, there were homes and stores and developments intentionally created there after the Union Army left the island and left all these Gullah Geechee descendants behind. And the government made an effort to create a town for them. It was sort of an experiment too, the Port Royal experiment. And I'm not a historian, so I won't try to be as precise about this as someone else could be. But that was fascinating to me. The Hilton Head was at the heart of all of that out of the entire country. And as I said, I think many, many people visit that island and have no idea about the history behind it all. It's been amazing in my conversations with Rich and, and looking into the history of the area that so many people think, okay, everything started in New England and that's where the pilgrims landed and Pretty much everything kind of blew up from there. But really, South Carolina and the low country area around Hilton Head Island was incredibly instrumental in the founding of the country. You look at Charleston was basically the birthplace of golf in the United States, and that's where the heritage came from. We talk about Charles Frazier actually going to Charleston and taking the charter, and it now hangs in the Harbortown Golf Course Pro Shop. And, and that's what the heritage comes from. For those that visit the island and may not know why that golf tournament is called the heritage, that's it. It's the heritage of golf in the United States started in Charleston. So yeah, in the series that we've done, you know, with Rich and talking through a lot of these other folks, all the stuff that happened in the low country was just, I mean, it was the start of the civil war in the uh, succession tree. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing uh, amount of history that has happened down there. What did you discover about the Gullah community and what's happened to them over the years. And, you know, tell us a little bit about your research into that community. Well, I know that a lot of the descendants really struggled after the army left the island. They struggled uh, to get by. And so many people moved away and the number of descendants on the island began to greatly diminish over time. But there were some individuals who stayed and tried very hard to keep their community alive, keep awareness of their roots alive. And I think they were largely unsuccessful because there wasn't a lot of support at that time from the the political forces at Hilton Head. And I think they have tried very hard for a number of decades now to bring attention around to what needs to be happening to restore the Gullah community and to make it uh, protected, so to speak. So that's what I see starting now, and it's been way overdue. They're starting to pay more attention to what needs to be done to make us aware of the history and to help the folks that are descendants of the Gullah Geechee to have a good life. Now, your most recent novel that I believe you just released in the spring of 2021 is called The Hearts We Trust, and the characters continue their story on Hilton Head. Tell us about that book. Well, at that point, Georgia and her husband, John, are living on Hilton Head Island, and so it talks about what they're doing and who they meet, and the Gullah couple that I mentioned that I first introduced in the third novel, their names are Mary and Henry. They're still in the picture. They're still in the book, and so there's a lot of traveling back and forth between Georgia and Mary and Henry's home and talking 
some things over. Angola, excuse me, Georgia is really struggling at that point with some decisions she's trying to make. But back in the third novel, she was gifted with a amulet by the Gullah descendant she met in the cemetery. And I won't tell you more about that story because it gives things away. But the amulet comes up again in the fourth novel and becomes a very important part of what George is trying to deal with. We also see a return of a couple of other characters that will surprise the readers. And again, I won't say who those people are, but um, I call the third and the fourth novels Gullah Ghost Stories for a very important reason. What's your plan for the continuation of the series? Is it going to continue and stay on Hilton Head Island or are they going to venture off at some point or have you even mapped it out that far in advance? At this time, I'm seeing the fourth one as the end of that series. Now, some people who have read the series have said, no, don't stop. Please write another one. But we'll see. We'll see if uh, the characters start coming back to me and saying, you better continue this story or whether they just let it go. So I don't know at this time. You've had property on the island for, uh, I guess, since the, the late 1980s. What are some of the things that have developed over the island that you have really thought have been great in helping the island grow? Is there anything that really stands out to you as, as a very significant change? And maybe it's even a few things. Well, my husband and I have actually owned a condominium there since the mid to late 90s. So it's not, it wasn't the 80s. We started visiting in the 80s, but the 90s we purchased property. Uh, Lots of development of businesses. And that, of course, has brought a surge of tourism. And you could say, is that good or is that bad? I think it's both. At times, it's quite busy on the island now, which I think detracts some from being able to enjoy the, the natural features and beauty of the island. But then again, if you don't have enough tourism to a place, then businesses can't continue and can't succeed. So it's a mixed blessing. I think the effort at continuing to protect the natural environment has been a good thing. Of course, Charles Frazier and his colleagues started that when they developed sea pines. But I think there are still some people on the island who have been trying very hard to not let go of that vision. And I think that's critical. If we stop paying attention to the need to protect the beauty and the natural life there, we will lose what's most important about the island. Yes, I really believe that that natural beauty has been instrumental in allowing Hilton Head not only to grow, but to be the special place that it is because it gets two and a half million visitors a year. You have 30 to 40,000 people that live there full time and the visitors come and the people live there full time because of that natural beauty. It's a place that you just absolutely fall in love with whenever you first discover it with the Spanish moss hanging off the live oak trees. And you can tell the island was never clear cut. You know, you didn't have development that came in and just plowed everything under and and built and then started, exactly. you know, planting some trees around to make it look pretty. They saved the trees that they could, you know, <laughs> and, and as many as possible, especially the live oaks, and try to build around those. And I think that's what really makes uh, Hilton Head and the Bluffton area, uh, to an extent, has has tried to do some of the the same things. I'm not going to give away where you actually live on the island, but how much, how excited were you when the Cross Island Parkway? came into play because that made getting to the south end of the island extremely quick. Yeah. No, and that's a plus in many for many reasons. I mean, it makes getting to certain areas quicker. It means if we have a hurricane evacuation, there are more opportunities to get off the island, which has been important in recent years. And I was really happy recently when they stopped the toll so we don't have that backup of cars coming on the island on Saturdays and leaving on Sunday mornings. So it's a big plus. For all the years that you have been 
traveling to Hilton Head, is there a favorite restaurant that you go to every time you go there, or are there maybe even a few that you make sure that you go visit? Yeah, there definitely are some. I don't know if I should mention names, but it starts plugging businesses. Do you want me to do that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We're, this show is all about promoting the island and promoting the businesses that are down there. We did an entire show on the chocolate canopy and, you know, the pro- mm. their product line, and, and it's a fantastic place. So anybody that wants, you know, some of the best chocolate you've ever had, please go visit there. But yeah, by all means, where do you like to frequent? We used to always frequently go to the bar at Bonefish Grill. Unfortunately, it closed down during the pandemic and they don't intend to reopen it. So that was one of our absolute favorite spots to go, but it's gone. So I would say as far as local businesses, we frequent the the trio that's um, on Skull Creek. So that would be Skull Creek Boathouse, Dockside, and Hudson's. You can get some fantastic fresh seafood from those restaurants, sit outdoors, nice views, great sunsets, especially in the winter when the sunset happens earlier for early birds like me. We also really enjoy going into Sea Pines and going to the Ocean Grill, which is just above the Coast Restaurant at the Sea Pines Beach Club. There is an indoor part, but you can step out onto a raised second floor balcony that overlooks the beach and hear the music, live music usually is playing below. That's a really nice spot to go. So we like to go there as well. Very nice choices. Yeah, the the trio of restaurants up there on uh, Skull Creek with Hudson's Boathouse. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're all just fantastic up there. Definitely a, a great place. It's a fantastic place for sunsets, you know, for dinner. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely, definitely like that. I also must also mention one other spot at Caligny Plaza. There's a place called the Sandbar Beach Eats. Yes. And it can be, again, too busy in tourist season, but it's a, a neat little spot with outdoor dining options, live music run by wonderful lady Erica Waronski. So that's a nice spot to stop in and, and get some good food and a friendly environment. Yeah, I visited the Sandbar, I believe. I was on the islands taking care of our place down there. I was by myself and I think it was recent. They had recently opened the place. So I went in and I'm a sucker for a, a good fish sandwich and they have one on the menu. So I tried it and I was like, okay, <laughs> this is one of the places that, that I'm going to be coming back to uh, as much as possible. They make a, if you like fish sandwiches, the sandbar has a great one on the island yeah. and there are plenty of great seafood places. But if you are in the south end of the island and near Caligny, uh, yeah, highly recommend uh, the sandbar and and the fish sandwich there. Any other little kind of hole in the wall place that you like to go to? We haven't gone out as much, as I said, because of the pandemic. So I have to rack my brain and remember where we used to go. (laughs) But the low country, the low country backyard is sort of a little hole in the wall place that is fun to go to and sit outside. That's on Palmetto Bay Road. Yes. It's a great restaurant. For a special occasion place, I'll mention this, Ella's at um, Shelter Cove. Yeah, I have not been there. That's really nice. You can They have a wraparound balcony, so you can sit out, you overlook the boat docks, and you can catch some sunset color from up there. But it's a, it's a kind of a special occasion place, I think of it as, because it's a little bit more pricey than some of the other ones I mentioned, but I really enjoy going there. I believe Ella's is at the very south end of Shelter Cove, is that correct? Yes. Down past the, the Mexican 
uh, restaurant that's in there. Yeah, as far around as you can go, and then at the very end, it's there. It's across the water from the Disney property. What else do you love about the island? Explore all the beaches. <laughs> Most people go there and just head right to Caligny Beach, but all the other beaches are beautiful. And I would encourage people to branch out, you know, go take a look at everything the island has to offer, not just one little spot. One of the very cool things about Hilton Head is you've got 12 miles of just beautiful beach that you can walk and bike on. And for those that have never gone up to it, really cool thing is to go up to uh, the Folly. Yeah. And you can go at high tide, you can go at low tide. And at high tide, you have to be a little careful. You can't really cross it at high tide because that current can be, if that current's moving, it can be very, very strong and it can uh, <laughs> suck you out <laughs> into the ocean. Exactly. But it's a very, very cool place to go and fish up there. I see people up there with fishing nets and tossing and catching stuff. But yeah, it's a really kind of a unique feature of the island. Well, when we first started going to the island, we discovered the the beauty of biking because at low tide, as you know, the it's wide beach and the sand is firmly packed, which is unlike most places you go where there is a beach. You can bike miles and miles and miles at low tide. But we used to go to the Folly and at low tide we could get across, but now there's more water coming across that and so it's pretty much impossible unless you carry your bike across. <laughs> yeah, you definitely yeah. got to kind of walk across that yeah. unless it's like dead low tide and it's a very extreme low tide, then uh, there's not as much water uh, coming through there. But biking is definitely another big, big plus for the island. You know, it's just one of the most wonderful biking communities I've ever encountered. I would just warn people who just arrived there and head out, notice which way the wind is blowing. Because <laughs> you might end up thinking, this is easy, this is great. And as you turn around, realize you hit a headwind that is going to have you getting off and pushing your bike. <laughs> yes, it, it can be absolutely exhausting to be on a bike on the beach and then you're running into a headwind it will yeah. wear you out in a hurry and you're trying to find a place to to get off and and hit a bike path hilton head is actually i believe one of the only two gold star or gold rated biking communities on the east coast everything else that ranks that high is actually out west and so yeah definitely on the east coast hilton head is a very very special place for uh the biking community i will say in the summer and some of the high tourist times you do need to be especially careful especially if you're on the south end of the island and around the caligny area watching for cars and all that kind of stuff and and mm-hmm. there's i see all the discussions on a lot of the facebook pages about you know who has rights away and this and that and the other thing in different states have different rules and when you come to hilton head you know sea pines the cars have the the right of way it's just the the way it is so uh you definitely need to be very cautious whenever you're anywhere near uh traffic crossing the street because the rules tend to change a little bit so that's true yeah i see that happen all the time where people hit across not realizing the cars don't have to stop i even saw cars run into each other one time because they had to break suddenly for bikers going across in front of them but people need to be aware not just of car traffic when they're biking but of other bikers absolutely i have a a bell on my bike but what i notice is when there are new bikers tourists who haven't been on a bike for a long time and i ring the bell they tend to turn right into me (laughs) they turn around you know right in my (laughs) pathway like what's that sound and i'm like oh my goodness it's not the ice cream person it's a bicycle coming your way (laughs) yeah (laughs) the ice cream truck 
coming. Yeah, we yeah. typically do the on your right, on your left kind of kind of thing. So, Anel, where can folks find your novel series? On Hilton Head, the last two novels are available in the Piggly Wiggly at Caligny Plaza. I think they're still stacked on checkout aisle number four. Also, there's a shop called Gifted in the village at Wexford. They have the last two novels. Uh, in Sea Pines, there's a bookshop called by hand ink and she carries i think the last two as well as some photography books and i did some photo gift cards too that she carries in that and that's at the shops at sea pines in bluffton you can go to the bluffton general store to get the last two novels and if you're interested in all four go online to amazon.com they're both in Kindle and paperback version. And the publisher, which is YBR Publishing, has all my books as well, all the novels. Anel St. Charles is the author. Anel, we really, really appreciate your time and coming on the show. Well, it was fun, Jay. I appreciate the invitation to be here. If you are looking for a beach read, pick up the Georgia Airs novel series by Anel St. Charles. We wish you safe travels as we head down 278 to Lighthouse Road. <laughs>